Today is uh, Shabbat Shiva, the um, Sabbath in between Yom Torah and Yom Kippur, the, uh, the High Holy Days. This year it's actually very much in the middle of those. That can, that can vary a little bit. Um, and that uh, Sabbath uh, is called Shiva because of Tishuvah, the returning to God, repentance, that, that notion. And so it's a part of the primary theme of the Days of Awe uh, moving up to uh, Yom Kippur. In the, uh, in the Torah readings and the Haftorah readings for uh, this Sabbath, uh, there, there is that theme. Now the first one, I'm not going to read all of them, I'm going to read the Haftorahs, but I'm not going to read the full chapter of, uh, of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. But in the Deuteronomy passage that is read today in the, uh, in the synagogues, this is where Moses is basically saying, I'm not going into the land with you, and Joshua is going to take over. So it's, it's about transition, and it's about the future, but the future is going to be different. Uh, the future is going to have different leadership. The future is going to be in the land. There, there's, there's a lot for them to think of. And, of course, uh, the scriptures are then placed uh, in the ark or by the ark uh, in the tabernacle, and Moses says to them, uh, it's going to be a, a witness against you because you're not, going to, uh, you're not going to keep the commandments. You're not going to follow God. And Moses says, uh, you had a hard time following God when I was with you. You're going to have a real hard time when I'm not with you. Interesting uh, uh, statement. Now, tied to that, are the uh, passages that are directly connected to uh, this day. And the first one is in the book of Hosea, chapter 14. In each of these, it uh, is at the end of the book. Um, Hosea, chapter 14, uh, verses 1 to 9, say, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. And receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses. Nor will we say again our God to the work of our hands. For in in you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, and my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. He will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout. His beauty will be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will again raise grain, and they will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble. Now following that uh, text uh, in the Haftor readings, is the book of Micah, 
And in the book of Micah, we come to chapter 7. And we pick up at verse uh, 18. Just three verses, 18 through 20. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. And then the last uh, passage for the Haftor readings is from the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2. And this one picks up at verse 15 with the sounding of the shofar. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal changer. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. For why should they among the people say, where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land, and he will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied and full with them. I will never again make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove the northern army far from you. I will drive it into a parched and desolate land, its vanguard into the eastern sea and its rear guard into the western sea. And its stench will arise and its foul smell will come up, for it has done great things. Do not fear, O land. He's talking about the land of Israel. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green. The tree has borne its fruit, the fig tree and the vine yielded in full. So rejoice, sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God. For he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain, as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain. The vats will overflow and the new wine and oil. Then I will make, uh, make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, for the, my great army which I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. Now, Right after that he talks about the giving of the Spirit. These passages are passages that are primarily and significantly for the people of Israel. Uh, it is a reminder to them that no matter what Moses said, in that they will not be able to uh, obey God fully, that God will not abandon them, that God will not reject them. He has not rejected his people whom he foreknow, 
foreknew. He maintains a remnant until the time of the end when he will re-bless Israel and establish the land and all that God's promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will come to pass. Now that should be good news to Israel. And God says, I'll pay you double for what I took away in the punishment. Even in the punishment that they deserved, I'm going to give you more. That's the God with whom we deal. So this faith that you and I hold to is likened to a pathway. One direction leads to life, the other one leads to death. One direction is the path of obedience, the other direction is the path of missing the mark. The wandering path, the path is sin. And both Judaism and Christianity use this analogy regarding walking with God and with each other along that pathway. And this time of year is a time for us to return to God. But the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to return to God? Well, we have to start with, why should we return to God? We came to God. We're with God. Well, we're not as with God as we think we are. Why must we return to God? Because this pathway is not easy. We can easily lose our way along the path. And it happens constantly. Now, some of, some of us just leave the path. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Verse 16, Mark 4, 16. Passage that you're familiar with. This is the parable of the sower. I'm not going to read the whole parable. I just want to talk about a few verses here, 16 to 19. Jesus, in explaining the parable, says, In a similar way, these are the ones whose seed was sown on rocky places, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the world, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones whom the seed was sown among them. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Some people just leave the path. They can't take the pressure. They can't take the persecution. Now in this culture, very little of that has happened. But we're beginning to get pushback. And people are already compromising and saying, I think we'll just go with this and we'll alter our understanding of the faith. I'm amazed how much that is going on. I, I watched a video of a uh, a well-known Southern Baptist who's part of our convention who was talking about the inner varsity issue. Inner varsity has issued a statement regarding human sexuality and told their employees, if you're going to work with us, you have to subscribe to this, otherwise you need to leave. Uh, now, they work on college campuses where that's controversial. So this guy is just explaining that this is the historical view of the church. That the church has always had a theology of sexuality and that that doesn't change just because the culture or the times change. And the hate statements that are put underneath that video of him that are coming from within the church is unbelievable. 
a lot of people are going to compromise and leave the path by compromising because they, they don't want to be persecuted. Now the other one is the group that this life is drawing them. They have to go to work. They have to raise the kids. They have to mow the lawn. They have to get the car washed. Uh, they have to advance in their career. They have to do things. I mean, this life has got things that are demanded. And the idea is the deceitfulness that this life really matters and eternity is a secondary consideration will draw other people off the path. Now, they mean well. Just going to do this for a while and then I'll get back to doing the things of God. Just too busy right now to do that. I got to get this done. And then it leads you a little further, leads you a little further, leads you a little further. And pretty soon you're significantly off the path. (coughs) Some people wander off the path. I want you to turn with me to James chapter 1. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 12, the scripture says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James is also talking about those who, who the pressure pushes them off the path, but some endure. On the other hand, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Now James says there's another problem. There's not only the pressure from outside the path that's pushing us off the path or drawing us away from the path. There's stuff inside. There's us that begins to push our appetites, our drives, our emotions, our temperament. Those things begin to rise up and they draw us off the path. And if we indulge those things, if we flirt with those things, after a while we become... uh, at the place where we conceive, we plan to take that side path, it'll parallel the path. You know, I'm not going to get that far away. And we play with fire, and then we get burned. So there are some people that go off the path because of persecution and the draw of the world. There are others who their internal gyroscope goes off, and all of our gyroscopes are off, And it takes them in a direction. And then there are some who would never go against persecution and let it win the battle. There are some that would say, I'm I'm not going to uh, be enamored by the world and follow that. I have self-control and I will not allow my appetites to get to me. They have a different struggle. That struggle is found in the book of Galatians. Chapter 6. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Paul says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Sometimes we just get bone tired. Just get weary. Uh, my schedule recently has been pretty rough. There are problems always in congregational relationships. There are problems with students. Time is, is just, I can't get everything done. And we're going through the grieving process with Braden. And I just get weary. And you know what? It feels like depression. It's not depression. I'm just tired. But when you grow weary in well-doing, and you're doing it, and you're doing it, and then somebody nips at you, and this happens, and all that kind of stuff, all, all you want to do is just say, you know what, I don't need this. I don't need this. I'm not going to jump into sin. I'm not going to do that. I'm just backing up. I'm just backing away. I'm just not going to do as much, right? And you drift off the path. Because you can't just stand. Now, sometimes you can stand. If you're fighting something, you've got to stand firm, Right? But if there's nothing fighting you, and you kind of just give up, you just wander off. And, and growing weary is something we have to be aware of. Where we sometimes have pretty good view for temptation and persecution and those kind of things. We even know what's battling us in that positive sense. But growing weary in well-doing is one of the things that takes us off the path. The truth is, we all wander off the path. Some directly run off the path, some trip, some have a stumbling stone, some are drawn off without knowing it, some are drawn by self-deception, some just grow weary and drift. But it's almost like, uh, and several people have used this example, it's not new to me, Uh, if you've ever driven a car that's out of alignment, which... Most of the cars I've ever had were out of alignment. Uh, it, it kind of pulls. If you let go of the wheel, it kind of pulls. So if you're going to stay on the path, you have to, you have to keep some pressure on there, right? That's the struggle of this faith. This faith always has a struggle. There is no coasting in this faith. There is no... The rest is at the end. Okay? The struggle is now, and we use both uh, Lent and this time period to remind ourselves to get back on there. Now, I have a uh, tendency to drive to the left of the, um, of the road. Some people have a tendency to drive to the right. Okay? I tend to drive to the left. And what happens is, I get really close to where those little cup things are. So I'll be driving and all of a sudden, boom, 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 you know, and it's a reminder for me not to, not to go any further over there, right? I got to get about. Now, I'm one of those guys who doesn't like to just jerk back. So while I'm pulling back, for quite a while, but the reminder is there, right? There's a struggle to stay on the path. So what you and I should be doing always doing is monitoring ourselves 
that we get back on the path. And we should be encouraging one another back onto the path in this process as well. Uh, I don't mean nag each other to death, but I do mean encourage one another uh, unto love and good works and all the more as we see the day uh, coming. So how do we get back on the path? Some people are way off the path. Some people are a little off the path. Some people are veering off the path. Some people are not aware they're off the path. The beginning is we have to realize and acknowledge that we have left the path. If we say we have no sin, we're a liar. And the truth is not in us. Sin is missing the mark. It's not quite getting to where we should be. It's not always some great, terrible, massive sin. A lot of times it's just not going to do it for now. I'm not worried about it now. So we have to acknowledge that. We have to confess to God. And if we have hurt others, we have to confess to them. And that's part of what goes on during this time in Judaism. Uh, People contacting each other saying, if I've offended you or if I've done something wrong. Um, Now, the best way for this to happen is that if something happens for people to say, ouch. We have a culture where people don't say, ouch, they just get angry, then they get angrier, then they get angrier, then they get angrier, and then they explode on somebody, right? And the reality is, when you first, it happens, you should go, ouch, you know, so the person can acknowledge it, and it doesn't continue, but we're not, we're not good at that. I'm going to be doing another series on maintaining relationships, because I think we need to talk about that. Uh, The second thing towards the path is to return to the spiritual disciplines. We're just about to start the new year of reading for Scripture. You need some method, some way of getting the Scriptures in you. You need to be memorizing. You need to be reading. You need the Scriptures on your wall. Last year, when I talked about this, I said I was going to do it on our wall. We didn't. I'm going to do it this year. We're going to get some verses that are up on the wall that change from time to time and that we as a family talk and address and do because we need to do it. Linda's working on a calendar that will be on the wall. I'm going to get some verses on the wall, right? Because uh, we've been off the wall too long, right? Prayer. Boy, this is a tough one. The discipline of prayer. Now, not when you're in hurting, not when you're in need, But general, regular communing with God is a problem for many of us. We need to do that. Self-denial, that's what the fast is all about. Not letting your appetites control you. Not letting your emotions control you. Uh, Managing our time. Managing our giftedness. Managing our resources. And working through our relationships. Getting back on the path is getting back into those things because they're part of the path. Returning to God means coming to myself like the prodigal son and saying, it's better at my father's house, I'm going to return. Humbling ourselves, I'm not worthy to be your son, even though the father receives him back as a son. And then to 
rejoice in being back on the path. But there's another son in that story, the older son, who also needs to return to God. Because while he hasn't left, he is not taking advantage of being with God and with his people and with the, they're just, you know, it's just minimal effort. You never killed a fatted calf for me. Everything I have is yours. Not taking advantage of it. Being on the path means that we have community and we have God and we can make use of that. But again, we have a tendency not to take advantage of that. So returning to God is acknowledging that we're off. It's coming back to the path through the spiritual disciplines. And finally, it means obedience. It means obeying God in my household. It means obeying God in my marriage. It means obeying God in my family and parenting relationships. It means obeying God in my congregational context and relationships. It means obeying God in my extended family and friends, whether they do or not. It means obeying God in my neighborhood and in my workplace, in the marketplace and in social intersections. In other words, it reminds us that our household is that base from which we operate and it's going to be difficult as we expand beyond that to be obedient to God. So really, in some sense, the greatest aspect of our obedience has to be in the household. That's difficult. That's where we bump into each other, right? And we tend to take each other for granted. We have got to come back to God in relationships, not in spirituality. Because all the commandments of God are about our relationship to Him and our relationship with each other. Now God knew that Israel was going to be... um, forgetful. So he told them, I can't use the example, he told them to make tzitzit, right? And wear it, remind themselves. We're to follow that. We're told to remember we're bought with a price and we're to glorify God in our body which is His. It's really easy to forget. So this time of year is for us to remember And once again, start over. I don't know what what works for you to start things over. I'm a furniture changer. Um, I will reorganize my desk. I will reorganize a room. I will rearrange the furniture in a room. I will put furniture different in a courtyard or a backyard or a front yard. Uh, I will do some, I'll rearrange the closet. Because that doing tells me that I'm getting ready now to move from here. Forgetting those things that are behind 
and pressing forward. And I need that. I need to tell myself, and I try to do that at the beginning of each semester when I, at, in the academic context. I try to do that at both uh, Lent and uh, this time of year in my religious life. Uh, and I try to do it in my broader social life at the seasons when they change as well. Trying to do that gives me a lot of times of restarting. And I need that. I don't know about you, but I restart and then I sleep that off pretty quickly. And then uh, I'm back to the old habits. So I need another refreshing time to start. That's really what the first day of the week is. Today is Shabbat. The week is over. We, we have stopped from everything and there's a time of rest and a time of reflection and a time of hope for the eternity that's to come and a glad that that's over in the past. And tomorrow becomes the first day of the week. And it was the first day of the week that Paul said, set aside uh, what you're going to do in terms of the offering that he was taking. In other words, that first day of the week is a new start. It's a time to begin again. So if last week was lousy, thank God that that week is over, and thank God we have a new week. God gives us startovers all through the scriptures. And he tells us to start over by returning to him. Return to me. He says, not because I'm going to judge you, but because I love you. I want to do good for you. Why we run from the one who wants the best for us towards those who want to use us, I'll never understand, but I get it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let's pray.